Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. See, God said that he would be with Jacob and take care of Jacob. That was meaning that God would be merciful to Jacob because Jacob didn't deserve any of this. That's for sure. As a matter of fact, when Jacob thought back to Bethel, when God promised to take care of Jacob, bring him back home, Jacob would say, boy, back there in Bethel, God promised me mercy. Back there in Bethel, that was mercy promised. And then as Jacob sees in the dream that God was transferring all of Laban's cattle to him, he would say, oh, you know what I see right now? I see God performing the mercy promised. That's a wonderful title for verse 12. Verse 12, you can hang over that t- verse there. God performing the mercy promised. That's what Jacob saw in his dream in verse 12. He saw God performing the mercy promised. That's a very important phrase because that's exactly what we see that God it does. He performs the mercy promised. God promised mercy. God performs mercy just as he promised. Who in Scripture said God performed the mercy promised? has to do a little bit with Christmas. Hint. Okay? It was Zacharias. Zacharias, who was the father of John the Baptist, and when he said that his son was going to be the prophet that was going to prepare Israel for the coming of the Lord Jesus, it says in Luke 1.67, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be safe from our enemies and from the hand of all them that, that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which you swear to Abraham. See, Zacharias, when he saw his son, he said, I got a son, and my son, because he was married, couldn't t- talk until this. He said, is it, my son is going to prepare Israel for the coming of the Messiah. Then he said, Mercy promised, performing mercy promised. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is a fulfillment of prophecy. What is the Christmas fulfillment of the prophecy? The performance of the mercy promised. What is the promise? The mercy that was promised in Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, government shall be upon his shoulders, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Mercy promised, what is? Luke 2, 6. So it was that while they were there, they should accomplish, she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn. Okay, performing mercy promised. Now, at the end of verse 12, God told Jacob, I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. Now, that's in the present tense. 
That's in the present tense. It, 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 it really, it's not the way it's written. Anyway, it's in the present tense. So he really it's saying like this, I am seeing all that Laban is doing unto thee. Or if you like, that also means he saw it, he's seeing it, he will see it. In other words, God was saying to Jacob that God had an active eye on Jacob. God was seeing what was happening to Jacob in real time. And that's, a, that's a good for us to remember, that God works in the present, not in the past, in our lives. He sees what's happening to us right now. And when, now we see in verse 13, where God says, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, where thou vowest to vow unto me, now arise, get thee out from this land, return to the land of thy kindred. God has chosen for himself here a new name. Whoa, there's a new name for God. We haven't seen this name before. God says, I take this new name for myself. I am the God of Bethel. This we calls himself. I am the God of Bethel. So that's strange. Bethel didn't even exist as a place. It was called Luz until, you know, Jacob was out there with a population of one. <laughs> we have a new city called Bethel, right? In fact, that population of one left. So that's a population of zero. <laughs> but God says, I'm the God of that city. I'm the God of Bethel. Oh, okay. Actually, God's the God of the whole earth. He's the God of the whole universe. So why does he call himself the God of, of the place that has population zero? Bethel. Yeah? Why would he call himself? Why would God call himself the God of Bethel? Uh, what makes Bethel so important to God compared to any other place on the earth? Why oh, doesn't he call himself the God of Maui? That'd be nice. You know? <laughs> but Bethel out there in the middle of like El Centro. Anyway, what's so important about Bethel for God to say, I'm the God of Bethel? Well, he explains. God explains. He says in verse 13, I'm the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest to vow unto me. See, that's the important part about Bethel. What made Bethel so important to God for God to call himself the God of Bethel because it was at Bethel where Jacob anointed the pillar with oil and made the vow to God. Just because Jacob made a vow to God in Bethel and Jacob anointed a pillar in Bethel, that was what made Bethel so special to God that God decides to call himself the God of Bethel. I mean, God did some amazing things at Bethel you know, that God had never done before. And even though God did these great things at Bethel, God did not say in verse 13, I'm the God of Bethel where I did an amazing thing of appearing to you and an amazing thing of showing you a ladder from heaven to earth where I showed you angels going up and down that ladder. He didn't say that. God did not say in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel where I made some amazing promises to you to be with you. See, all of those statements, which were not made, but if they had been made, they would talk about what God did. See, all those statements is what God did not say, because all those statements that God did not say refer to God, what God did at Bethel. See, all those statements that God did not say put the emphasis on what God did. And this is what's so amazing about verse 13, because God didn't say in verse 13, I am the God who did all these things. But what he did say in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. That's amazing. That's amazing. God calls himself the God of Bethel because of what Jacob did at Bethel, not because of what God did at Bethel. That's why the most amazing word in verse 13 is the word thou. <laughs> That's an amazing word. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar. And where thou vowest a vow unto me, 
Yeah, I guess think of God, you know. <laughs> it's amazing what God, look at Genesis 1 and 2. You know, I, I'm the God that spoke the worlds into existence, spoke the light into creation, made all the rocks. No, no, I'm the God of Bethel, where you found that stone there that you used as a pillow, and then you set it up like a pillar, and then you pour a little bit of oil on that. I'm the God where you do that. <laughs> this is unbelievable. He calls himself the God of Bethel because of what Jacob did at Bethel. That shows that God takes special note. He took special note of what Jacob did at Bethel, and that was important to God. That shows that God takes special note of very important things that we do, and God says that's important, and he marks those very special places where we do those very special things for God. And at Bethel, Jacob did some very important things. First, God said, Jacob did something very important when he poured the oil on the rock. And God said that was very important. And second, God said Jacob did something very important when Jacob vowed to God there. Now, what happened? We were not, you know, our memories, we can remember some things, you know. What, what actually happened back there when this thing that God's referring to here when Jacob made the pillar and anointed with oil is when we remember, oh yeah, that was when Jacob woke up from that sleep where he dreamed and he saw the Lord with the ladder in Genesis 28, 16. Genesis 28, 16. Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, Bethel. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillow and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. See, Jacob took the stones that he had used for his pillow. Such a nice pillow. Anyway, he took that stone and he set it up for a pillar. So he erected it. Now it's this way. Instead of this way, it was a pillow. This way, it's a pillar. And he sets it up and he pours oil on it. What was that anointing of the pillar all about? In Bethel. What was why why is that so important with God? Because that was passion. That was zeal. That was Jacob in his passion for God anointing that pillar. You know, Jacob said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I knew it not. He was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? And this oil that he a little bit of oil he pours on this rock is Jacob's way to express his passion, his zeal, and how dreadful the place was when he anointed his stone pill with oil. See, Jacob in his zeal for God anointed the pillar. And God saw that expression of passion when Jacob anointed the pillar as very important. He said that's very important. And when Jacob passionately anointed the pillar for God, God says, yes, Jacob, I'm with you with all of your heart of passion for me. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, he just hates lackluster lukewarmness. He hates it. He says that in Revelation 3.15. He says to the church, I know thy works, but thou art neither cold nor hot. You're just right. <laughs> Goldilocks, you're just right. I would you were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. So God has a way to make things very graphic. So, when God saw that Jacob was hot in his passion for God and anointed this pillar, God was happy. And he says in verse 13, I'm the God of Bethel where thou anointest the pillar. See, we get so guarded against emotionalism that, you know, oh, it's charismatic, woo, you know, and we suppress all the emotion, all the passion. 
And sometimes a little emotion, a little passion is called for, like being in the presence of God. To be without passion does not impress God. Actually, it makes him one of vomit. Now, looking at Jacob pouring this little bit of oil on a stone, and the cry goes out, emotionalism, and the question is put to God. Little oil on a stone out there in the desert, that's not important for you, God, is it? And God says, oh, yes, it is. It's very important to me. That little oil that Jacob put on the stone expresses his, expressed his passion for me. That little oil that Jacob poured out on the stone in the middle of the desert is so important to me that you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, I'm the God of Bethel where thou anointest the pillar. And the vow, the vow, that was the content of what Jacob said. And he said in Genesis 28, 20, and Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me, God will keep me in this way that I go, give me bread to eat, raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I've set up shall be God's house. Of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth, 10%, unto thee. That was the vow? Wow. We thought, it's a joke, right? It's funny. Jacob says, now here's my best terms, but God, no negotiation. You got my best offer. This is a take it or leave it. Here are my terms. Number one, you got to be with me. Number two, you keep me safe. You give me bread to eat. You give me clothes to wear, and you bring me back safe. You perform those five things, you'll be my God. And all that, I'll give you 10% <laughs> whatever I get. Those are my terms, God. Take it or leave it. Very simple. You got five obligations. You come through, presence, safety, food, clothes, safe return. You do that. I got two obligations. I'll make you my God. I'll give you 10%. That's laughable. It's funny. It's insulting to God. We thought it was a joke, right? God said, it's not a joke. God, that's no joke. And God says, I accept the terms. And God took Jacob seriously when God said in Genesis 31, 13, I am the God of Bethel, where thou vowest a vow unto me. See, what God said in, in verse 13, it's amazing when he said, I'm the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest to vow unto me. Bethel was a very special time in Jacob's life, a time when Jacob was on fire for God. And God took note of what Jacob did when he was on fire for God and what he said when he was on fire for God at Bethel. And we look at what Jacob did and what Jacob said in Bethel and we say, what is this stupid pouring of a little oil on a stone in the middle of a desert? Pouring a little oil on a stone in the desert? You've got to be kidding me. A little oil on a stone? A religious act in the middle of a dusty desert? Not even a great religious building to do this in? A little stone on an oil? No proper altar? No incense? A religious act in dirty clothes without proper clerical attire? Yeah. <laughs> what is this? take it or leave it offer, the vow for Jacob's making to God. Such a generous offer that Jacob makes to God, where God has to do everything, and then he allows God to be his God, and then he tips God 10% or whatever he gets. That offer is so self-serving. It's so one-sided. That vow is pathetically laughable. It wasn't even in the proper clerical form. He didn't even start off with, Oh, Holy Father, Thou art creator of the grand universe, I humbly come into Thy august majesty. He didn't even start off right. <laughs> Prayer should not be taken seriously, God. We say to God, Don't take that act of the little oil on the stone seriously. Just forget about that pathetic vow that Jacob made to you. It's just not worth remembering. That's what we would say about Jacob's vow. But what does God say? God says, Don't you laugh at Jacob's prayer to me. Don't you laugh at Jacob's zeal for me? I take Jacob's vow offer to me seriously. I will take Jacob's offer to me. 
I am taking very seriously Jacob's passion expressed by pouring that oil on the stone. And I've been thinking about that oil and that stone for 20 years now. And so that now, 20 years after Jacob, after the time when he poured that oil on the stone, I say in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel where thou anointest the pillar. I'm taking very seriously Jacob's vow to me when he gave me those terms for me to become his God, what it would take for me to be his God, and his promise to give me 10% of what he gives. And I've been thinking about that, those vows for 20 years. And so now after 20 years, after he made that vow in verse 13, I'm saying, I'm the God of Bethel where thou vowest a vow unto me. See, what verse 13 is showing us is that when there's a fire for God and when there's a passion expressed and promises made to God, to others it may look childish, it may look foolish, it may look ridiculous, and so out of the acceptable religious form. But God, who looks on the heart, he takes that fire and that passion and those promises very seriously and he doesn't forget them. Because from that fire and passion and promises to God, God sees a person who is taking God a little seriously for a change and putting God to the test. And God says, great, I've been looking for someone like this for a long time. My eyes are getting tired. He says in 2 Chronicles 16.9, Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Because from that fire and passion and promises made to God, God sees he's got an opportunity. God's got an opportunity to show his goodness, show his mercy, show his faithfulness, which is what it says in Malachi 3.10. He says, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. There may be meat in my house. Prove me now therewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be enough room to receive it. See, we've all had, we've had Bethel times in our lives when we were on fire for God. We would speak to everyone about the Lord Jesus Christ. We taught Sunday school classes. People came up to us, asked us about God. We made promises to God that we're going to use our lives to serve him. We're going to use our lives to please him. We're going to use our lives to glorify him. There were Bethel times when the fire was hot for God, when there was a passion for God, and there were vows made to God. But then four things happen so often, and they've put the fire out. What? Failures and difficulties. The way got hard, and the fire for God went out. Passion for God was replaced with cold religion. And then what happened? Not failures and difficulties, successes. Oh, the world smiled. Careers advanced. Possessions increased. Status mounted. And the fire for God went out. The passion for God was replaced with a passion for self. Then distraction. Oh, the the world's very distracting. Turn on the television. The world allures and then it's not, it's not that, it's all the have to, the to do, I've got to do this. Oh, they, the to do's have to take over. They take over. Life pursuits engulf. And the motto becomes too often, let me first go and do this, and then I'll return to God. And during all those, let me first goes, the fire for God goes out. Passion for God is replaced with a passion for pursuits. And then offense. Christian trusts someone, and that someone betrays him. He betrays the trust. He gets offended, and he turns away from God, and the fire for God goes out, and the passion is replaced with a painful remembrance of how he was betrayed. Now, the Lord looks at Jacob with his newly found wealth, and God says, oh, my boy Jacob, he's in danger, and a person's in the greatest danger when the world smiles on him. And so this is the time when God allows Laban and his sons to turn against him. That made Jacob ready to leave Haran. And so God, sometimes he allows something to come in our lives to make us willing to leave. So God told him in verse 13, now arise, get thee out of this land and return unto the land of thy kindred. 
So God is telling Jacob, it's time for you to return to the place where you anointed the pillar and made your vow to God. When you look at verse 13, you look at it as a whole, we can see what's happening here. God is telling him, look, I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, you vowed the vow, now arise and return. See, verse 13 is God saying to Jacob, Jacob, remember me, Jacob? Remember me? In verse 13, God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, do you remember me from 20 years ago when you were at Bethel? I'm the God of Bethel. And we can see Jacob saying, Bethel, Bethel. Oh, God, that was 20 years ago. You know, a lot of water has gone under the bridge the last 20 years. I can hardly remember Bethel. I mean, I mean, it was important at the time, but I sort of forgot about it. And you didn't want to just forget about Bethel? And in verse 13, it's God's response. God's saying to Jacob, no, Jacob, I did not want to forget about Bethel. I love you, Jacob. In verse 13, God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, remember me from 20 years ago when you were at Bethel where you anointed the pillar? And we can see Jacob saying, oh, the oil in in Bethel, well, you know, I'm a little older now. I'm kind of embarrassed about all that. You know, oh, God, that was 20 years ago. I was 20 years younger. It's kind of ridiculous, wasn't it? pouring that oil out there in the desert on that stone. I feel kind of silly about it now. You mean you took me seriously out there when I poured that oil on the stone? And in verse 13, that's God's reply. Yes, Jacob, I took you seriously. See, in verse 13, God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, remember me from 20 years ago when you were at Bethel, where thou vowest a vow unto me? And again, we can see Jacob saying, oh, the vow I made at Bethel. Oh, God, that's 20 years ago. You know, I was young. You know, I didn't really know anything. I mean, looking back on it now, I can't believe that I gave you the take it or leave it offer. I mean, to be honest, I just forgot about it. That you mean you took the offer seriously? Verse 13, God's saying, yes, Jacob, I took your vow seriously, and I've lived up to my end of the deal. And so when we see the first part of verse 13, then we see God is really saying the second part of verse 13 right along when, when he says, now arise. And return. See, with those words, God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, remember me? I'm the God that you left on the side of the road 20 years ago back in Bethel, and where you promised that if I took care of you, I'd be your God. Well, how's those last 20 years been going for you, Jacob? It's pretty rough, huh? It's pretty exhausting, isn't it? Pretty devastating, isn't it? Come on. Now arise, get thee out from this land, return unto the land, thy kindred. Come home, Jacob. Come to my home. See, what God was saying to Jacob was to return to Bethel, return to the Bethel state of being when he was on fire for God. So in verse 13, God is saying to Jacob, it's been a long 20 years, but I've never stopped waiting for you, Jacob. And that's the way verse 13 is a prophecy again to the descendants of Jacob, the Jewish people, where Jehovah Jesus is saying to the people of Jacob, the Jewish people, it's been a long time that you've been separated from me. And I've seen how this time has been just a disaster, a Shoah, a catastrophe, a devastation for you. But I've been waiting for you all this time. Come on, now arise, get thee out and return, which is what we see Jehovah Jesus doing in Matthew 23, 37, when he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that kills the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth their chickens under her wings? Or Romans 10, 21, but to Israel he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hand unto a people, a disobedient, gainsaying people. Proverbs one i I've stretched out my hand. He's saying to the Jewish people, come home, come home, come to my home. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the God of Bethel and the God of Jacob. And help us, Lord, to see you for who you are, the faithful one who works with us in our bankrupt state. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to join the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the second annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Life and Light Foundation Ministries of the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration Ministries, and the Friendship with God Radio Ministry. Come experience a fantastic food-themed night at the Creation Museum, and we'll have great guest speakers with Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Dan Sered, director of Israel's Jews for Jesus. We'll have an amazing night of auction items, so if you would like to attend, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor with a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve a seat. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or creationsd.org. creationsd.org.